This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Everything I know about geography, I learned from pro wrestling. It's true. Well, not everything. But my curiosity was piqued. Every time a ring announcer claimed someone was from Grenoble, France, or Krakow, Poland, I had a sudden urge to know where these places were. The next thing I knew, I was consulting a classroom globe to find out where the hell the Sudan and Uganda were in relation to Sunset Park, Brooklyn. Delving further into geography, I learned more about Uganda, an East African country once ruled by an iron-fisted madman named Idi Amin, who could have easily passed for a pro wrestler himself and the Sudan, a North African country with a long, brutal history of civil unrest and terrorism. It then made sense to my 12-year-old brain that wrestlers as fearsome as Kamala, the Ugandan giant, and as cruel and violent as Abdullah the Butcher, the wild man from Sudan, could actually be from where they claimed to be. Why not? All of a sudden, I could match a face to a place. Anytime Uganda or the Sudan was mentioned on the nightly news. These countries became as real to me as my neighborhood grocery store. The downside of this introduction to Geography 101 via pro wrestling, of course, was the misconception that the citizens of Uganda were loincloth the barefoot giants with day-glow war paint on their bellies. These kind of horrible misconceptions, however innocent, can lead to racial stereotyping and I think we can all agree, like many other forms of entertainment, pro wrestling relies on its share of sexual and racial stereotypes to create its heroes and villains. Now, putting that topic aside, I can honestly say my cursory glances at the globe and the information I garnered afterward made the world a scarier place than Brooklyn or New York City had ever been to me. The main takeaway for me was that everyone came from somewhere, There were no parts unknown, as many a weird wrestler claimed for themselves. It always sounded like a cop-out to me anyway, to hear a wrestler say they were from parts unknown. What was supposed to add mystery and exoticism to the wrestler's personality just wound up sounding very fake and very lazy. Tell me you're from the Sudan or Uganda. Pick a place, any place, Madagascar... Bora Bora, if I can find it on a globe, I'll buy your backstory. I'll believe your character. I'll know exactly who you are. Say no more. And here's the other element to exoticism. Silence. That was a huge part of the Ugandan giant Kamala's mystery. Never really saying a single discernible word during his fight promos, Kamala would speak through his huge swollen belly beating it like a slap drum with the occasional tribal howl thrown in for a good scare. In just a few seconds, Kamala said more with his rhythmic belly slapping and howling than most heels said with words during the entirety of their blustering two-minute promos. Now, as scary looking as Kamala was, he was incapable of bringing the mayhem his presence promised to the squared circle. Like a lot of the oversized wrestlers of the 80s and 90s, Kamala just kind of imposed his will and size on his opponent. Not enough to be nightmarish, 
certainly not enough to keep fans begging for more. Over time, without the edginess or the wrestling skill he could have displayed in the ring, Kamala's novelty wore off. I can't even remember if he actually feuded with anyone. Because he was pure spectacle and not much else, Kamala seemed less authentic than the other off-kilter heels from the far-flung corners of the world. The most authentic of these heels was Abdullah the Butcher, the wild man of Sudan. Abdullah the Butcher was hardcore wrestling before anyone called it that. Like a misshapen cross between the Michelin Man and Jabba the Hutt, Abdullah the Butcher was definitely one ugly wrestler. Adding to his hideous look was the flabby chest fat that drooped below his armpits like human bat wings and a row of carved scars on his forehead deep enough to hold casino chips in place. According to his wrestling backstory, the scars derive from some sort of tribal rite of passage during his childhood in the Sudan. The grotesque scars were actually the results of years of blading, when wrestlers slice into their foreheads to produce blood for the fans. So because I knew a little bit about the violence of the Sudan, I bought the spiel about the tribal rite of passage. Proving the old quote right again, it really is all about location, location, location. Abdullah was known to hide blades in his taped fingers, with which it was rumored he not only bladed himself, but he sometimes bladed unsuspecting, unwitting opponents. Armed with an arsenal of kitchen utensils in his trunks, his weapon of choice was a common household fork he used like an excavator on his opponent's faces and eyes. Abdullah created murderous mayhem in the ring usually leaving him and his opponents battered and blood-soaked. This vulgar display of brutality was way too much for the WWF to air, and I'm glad they didn't. His matches really were too gruesome to be aired on prime time. In a couple of years anyway, the WWF would be on its way to kid-friendly status anyway, pushing wholesomeness and American patriotism. You try getting parents and kids to rally behind a fork-wielding maniac with four divot-sized scars etched into his forehead. Not an easy sell. So, to even know of Abdullah's existence, I had to flip through the pages of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the seminal wrestling magazine of the 80s and beyond. Good luck discovering him anywhere else. At the time, PWI covered all the wrestlers you could ever imagine and never imagine, and all the stats and rankings a budding 12-year-old wrestling fan could ever want. To be honest, most kids just read PWI for the blood and gore. I read it for the articles. Years later, by the way, I would do the same with Playboy. Read it for the articles. So one day, I came across this rarity of rarities in the magazine. A profile on Abdullah the Butcher. A woman, another rarity in PWI at the time wrote the article. The way I recall it, she starts the article by telling us she's alone in a stadium tunnel leading to the wrestler locker rooms, waiting for Sir Oliver Humperdinck, Abdullah's latest manager, handler, mouthpiece, of which there were many throughout the years, mostly due to uh, the blabbing during promos because Abdullah couldn't speak a lick of English, remember? So there she is waiting for Humperdinck in the tunnel. 
the last match of the night having ended a while ago. The cleanup crew wrapping up for the night. She could hear stadium lights turning off like a series of prison bars clanging shut one by one. But there's still no humpetick. Fresh out of cigarettes, she finally said, F this, and decided to leave. But she wasn't exactly sure how to do that. The door she used to get in the tunnel was locked. She tried another door. The one stamped team personnel only. Locked. Okay. She thought she heard straggling stadium ushers laughing just beyond the black double doors at the end of the tunnel, the ones leading to the stadium arena. She walked toward those black double doors. Determined to have those ushers show her the way back to her car, even if she had to file a complaint against them for their negligence, and determined not to be locked in the stadium overnight. How could they lock these places up without checking if anyone's left behind? Isn't that security's job? Damn it. Why had she bothered waiting for so long for that fat British bastard Humperdinck? Remember the silence I mentioned earlier? How effectively it conveys exoticism? How effectively it conveys menace and mayhem? That's what the reporter saw in the vacancy of Abdullah's eyes. Menace and mayhem. Maybe even trace of murder. She was now walking backwards. He had suddenly emerged from the black double doors, just like that. She didn't even remember how. Is that a fork in his hand? Where's Oliver? She stupidly asked him, hearing nothing but her cavernous echo answered back. The six-foot-tall, 365-pound Sudanese madman was advancing. His long velveteen trunks as blood-smeared as a butcher's apron. She was staring into the vacancy of his eyes when the reporter's notebook in her mind started spitting out tidbits of unpleasant biofacts about Abdullah. His fondness for chewing off duckheads as a child. The match when he smashed a chair over his opponent's head and beat him senseless with a chair leg. She was now knocking on the team personnel only door with a ferocity she hadn't known she possessed. Humperdinck set me up, she thought. That fat British bastard set me up. He never meant to be the go-between for the interview. He wanted me to be alone with the butcher. He wanted to scare me to death. Did I mention Abdullah was pretty light on his feet for a man his size? He was getting closer. She was knocking harder. She now caught a clear glimpse of the grooves on his head. How dark and meaty they were. Forget casino chips. They might be large enough to swallow her up whole as well. She knocked harder. A door opened behind her. The one she'd first used to access the tunnel. Humperdinck? No. A freelance wrestling photographer she'd seen around here and there. He swung his rapid-fire camera toward Abdullah and snapped away. Before she knew it, she was back 
in the safety of her car. Now, (laughs) the article read like a scene out of a slasher movie. Who knows if it was even written by a real female journalist? I don't know that. I mean, the way I remember the photo, Abdullah was kind of just standing in front of the black double doors, no sense of motion coming from him, no fork in his hands either. Nevertheless, I was pretty shook up from the story. In my mind, this woman had come very close to some horrible end, death by fork, or at the very least, one hell of a tetanus shot. I fell hook, line, and sinker for this story because I believed in Abdullah. I believed in his heat, a wrestling term referring to the desired negative reaction a heel gets from the crowd when they do something awful. I believed in his backstory. I believed in his birthplace. All I had to do was listen to the nightly news to make a connection between this crazed sadist and the hardship in his country, which was really not his country at all, because the man who played Abdullah the Butcher was actually... Wait for it. Canadian. His real name is Larry Shreve, and he was born in Windsor, Canada. Shocking, because Canada is one of the most polite countries in the world. He supposedly retired from pro wrestling in 2010, but I don't think Wikipedia got that right. Because about three years ago, my friend Sal, who still frequently uh, goes to local wrestling events in Catholic school gymnasiums in Brooklyn, met Abdullah backstage where he and some other faded stars of yesteryear were signing and selling autographs and merchandise at exorbitant prices. Abdullah was sitting at a table hawking forks. Not only did Sal shell out 20 bucks for one of those forks, he paid an extra 10 to get headlocked by Abdullah while Abdullah pressed the same purchased fork to Sal's skull. It was a great photo, and I totally envied Sal. It should have been me at the end of that fork. I recently saw a shoot on YouTube of Larry Shreve demonstrating how he made his fork move look real. He put the guy he was showing the trick to really just a nifty bit of sleight of hand, in a headlock, and aimed a spoon at his head. So as not to hurt the guy, for real. The guy winced before the spoon could touch him, and Larry Shreve laughed. You're already making a face. Looking a little embarrassed for flinching, the guy gave it another go, and Larry patiently showed him the move, like some gracious magician reassuring a frightened audience member. He barely grazed the guy's forehead, and the guy said, Wow, you didn't touch me. Larry, who was surprisingly quite soft-spoken, said, Of course not. That's why I'm a professional. Then the guy asked him if the scars in his head hurt, to which Larry shook his head and said, Ah, they don't hurt. That's why I'm a professional. Now imagine playing the same character for more than four decades. That would probably be Kelsey Grammer's worst nightmare, but Larry Shreve has been Abdullah the Butcher since 1958. That's one hell of a run for any performer. It certainly requires an incredible work ethic to exact the physical punishment that Shreve has done to himself over time. There's no hiding behind a mask for this guy. Larry Shreve is always Abdullah, through and through. You need only look at the permanence of his scars to know this. Geography itself can't claim that kind of permanence. 
people migrate, soil erodes, and even the names of countries change. Knowing Larry Shreve is really Canadian changes nothing. He will always be from a country rife with civil wars and severe suffering. It doesn't have to be the Sudan. It could be anywhere. Okay, everybody, I'll leave you with this completely apropos yogiism. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. See you in two weeks for another tiptoe through the tulips of Villainy Lane. But for now, I'm taking these heels off. You've been listening to Wrestling With Heels On over the Sports History Network, of course. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. At the Sports History Network, we're all about sports yesteryear, and so we're so pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings your sports history to life anywhere. The Row One Gallery includes over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, advertisements, and more in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. And any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. And in Row One Shop. Check out the thousands more of unique items with the retro and historical designs dating back to 1876, including t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, phone cases, mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com, R-O-W number one, for access to the full Row One catalog and for gallery prints and gift items, plus get a 15% discount off all prints on the Row One Pictorum Gallery with coupon code SHN15. Follow the link on the show notes. Be up. Always up.